This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I spend a fair bit of time, maybe a little bit too much time, over on Catholic Twitter. There's different kinds of Twitter. Uh, I didn't know this. It's all twitter.com. Uh, but you've got um, you've got little microcosms of communities of people who follow one another and have conversations with one another. And sometimes those those uh, communities overlap or can have com- uh, conversation between them. But for the most part, there's this kind of microcosm of uh, communication, of conversation. And one of those microcosms is Catholic Twitter. And then, of course, of a subset of that, there's weird Catholic Twitter, but that's a whole other story. A story, in fact, and this is completely unrelated to our conversation today, uh, a story, in fact, which has been covered in a national uh, news outlet. I don't remember which one, but there's this huge, it might have even been like the Atlantic or something. There's this huge story on, quote, weird Catholic Twitter, close quote. If, uh, if you're unaware of what that is, Go, go find that article because it's fascinating. But we're not talking about weird Catholic Twitter today, and we're not even really talking about Twitter today except to say two things. The first thing, which is tangentially related, is I would love for you to join me on Catholic Twitter and come and be a part of the ongoing conversation of the things we talk about here on this show. You can do that. You can find me there on Twitter at at Outside the Walls, or just go to twitter.com forward slash Outside the Walls. You can find me there. Uh, shoot a hello, let me know that you're there, and we'll have a conversation about this show, and uh, maybe you've got a favorite episode you want to bring up as well. Um, but that's, that's again, also kind of ancillary to our point. Um, on Catholic Twitter, there are a number of conversations which are recurring. Uh, some of those conversations are, I can't believe we're talking about this again. And, and around this time every year, uh, there is a, a whole bunch of people on Catholic Twitter who respond to the fact that we are entering into NFP Awareness Week. And there are varying responses to NFP Awareness Week, but it's almost always something along the lines of, are we really talking about this again? Uh, sometimes it is um, a conversation about the marketing materials of, can't we do better than this? Um, sometimes it's a conversation about, uh, I already practice NFP. Why do we have to focus on this every year? Sometimes it is, I disagree with the church and I really don't know why it keeps bringing this up and hammering it home year after year after year. Uh, and, and of course, for, for my part of the story, uh, I look at NFP Awareness Week and I'm just a little bit excited about it because, believe it or not, NFP was one of the very key things that brought me and my wife into the church. It was a final straw, as it were, as we looked at the teachings of the church and specifically the teachings around marriage, around natural family planning, about around the purposes of our, our sexuality as, as human persons, around the dignity of the human person. Uh, so I always get just a little bit... Um, interested and excited to have this week to explore it more deeply. Now, uh, I know that not everyone shares that, but one of the things that I want to talk with uh, uh, about today is specifically whatever you think about NFP, you probably don't have a full picture. I'm not going to say that universally. 
Uh, maybe you have thought about this long and hard and have a really robust sense of what natural family planning is and why the church talks about it. But I'm going to venture a guess that most of us, when we think about natural family planning, we think about it from our personal perspective. And the church, yes, is, uh, is a very personal church, but it's also the Catholic church. It's the universal church. And so there are some reasons uh, that the church promotes natural family planning that go well beyond your experience of it. So today, as we talk about natural family planning, we're going to do it from the perspective of three things. The church's preferential option for the poor. That's thing number one. Uh, The second thing that we're going to look at is uh, the church's care and concern for the dignity of the human person, both of the unborn and of the parents. Uh, And then lastly, we're going to put aside a couple of myths about natural family planning. And to talk about this, we're bringing my darling bride into the conversation. And the reason for this is uh, she is a bit of an expert. Uh, now, I don't say that because we have eight kids. I do laugh uh, because people look at us and say, well, of course, of course you use NFP. Look, you've got eight kids. And this is one, actually one of the myths we're going to be putting aside today. Um, to, <laughs> twofold. One is the myth that natural family planning doesn't work. I tell people all the time, all of our kids were planned at least 10 minutes in advance. Uh, But beyond that, uh, natural family planning is not just for the postponing of pregnancy. Very often it is for the the planning of a pregnancy for those who have difficulty. Uh, So we're going to talk about about that myth. Uh, But then we're also going to talk about the myth that comes out very regularly that natural family planning can, it's approved by the church and it can be used uh, under very uh, specific circumstances, but it's also possible to use it. You may have heard this phrase. It's also possible to use it with a contraceptive mentality. If you've heard that phrase before, or you're familiar with that phrase before, uh, we're going to take some time today and talk about why that specific phrase is impossible. So, Stick around because we'll get there. Um, we're bringing my wife in today uh, because she is an expert at it, uh, n- not just at the practices of NFP, but at the perspective around it. Now, we had her on the show some time ago to talk about uh, NFP, and I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe this isn't the right episode to talk about this because she has been on the show specifically to talk about NFP. So I went back to look, and um, she she was here to talk about this, but it was 262 episodes ago. So so I think we're pretty safe to bring this topic back around. Uh, So Kristen, thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us today. Always happy to be here. So NFP brought us into the church. It was not the only reason that we came into the church, but it was a key component in the timing of when we came into the church. It really was. I mean, it was that thing that stuck out that was different. I mean, there's plenty that's different from where we were to the Catholic church, but at the same time, like everything else was, oh yeah, they're good and we're good and we're all, you know, fine. But then all of a sudden there was this teaching that... Well, if that's true, over here is teaching it as true, and over here is not teaching it as true, and you can't have 
both. So if this is right, which we came to believe that it was, then all of a sudden there was more to look at. There was there was that bridge of, oh, what else are we missing then? Well, and for me, it was maybe even a little bit different. For me, as as I looked at the church's teaching around natural family planning, it was more I came to believe that it was true. And where I currently was, the, the denomination I was a part of, didn't teach it. They, they completely ignored it. Uh, and so it wasn't just that the church was right about it, this, but it was that where I was, was not right about this. And so for me, it, it, it kind of pointed to a fact of where I am is not good enough. I have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's important to say, um, we, we had been introduced to NFP through some people I went to Protestant seminary with. And I had, um, I had watched a difference in the way that they related to one another because of natural family planning. And so it intrigued me. I was curious about it because they, they expressed, Hey, you know, we have found this thing and it has made us uh, closer to one another. So I looked at that and it was just intriguing, but we, we, as a couple, we did an FP from the very beginning of our marriage as, Mm -hmm. as Protestants and as Protestants in more ways than one, one, we were Protestants and using NFP, but two, we were using NFP like Protestants. Right. So, yeah, it, you know, we were using it badly. Um, if you know the, the difference between the terms, if you're familiar with them, there's um, the fertility awareness method, which is a an effort to um, to look at natural family planning, but from the perspective that is much more um, secularized. And so... Uh, encouraging the use of barrier methods during fertile times and things like that. So we had used natural family planning from the beginning of our marriage as a method. We knew uh, the the science of it and the mechanism of it, but we didn't know what the church teaching behind natural family planning until uh, really until I was looking to become a deacon in our previous faith tradition, and uh, and we needed a little bit of extra income uh, to be able to uh, for me to go and get a grad degree. And uh, in that, you know, you, we had children, uh, you didn't yeah. want to work outside the home. Um, and so this was a way for us to bring in a little bit of extra income uh, to be able to, we thought, send me to seminary. And, uh, and it was there that you encountered not just the mechanism of natural family planning, but the teaching of the church. Right. So the, yeah, the very first night of teacher training, they had a session that was talking about some of the more of the church teaching and such. And um, I heard the words sins against chastity. And I'm sitting there in my little Protestant mind trying to figure out what does that mean? Like, <laughs> like I know that those words are English, but I have no clue <laughs> what them strung together like that what are you talking about? And, um, and they sent us home with a Christopher West book. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was, it was intriguing because it was like, what are y'all talking about? Mm-hmm. So I read that book, um, and then also got a hold of the theology of the body, uh, from Pope John Paul II and, and was just kind of blown away by it. That was for me, uh, the last straw. That was the thing that brought me into the church. And so way back then, even before we were Catholic, we, you know, I'd spent time in marketing um, and we were blown away by this teaching. We weren't yet Catholic. 
but we thought, hey, people know that the church says you have to use NFP or nothing at all. Um, but are they aware of of what's going uh, of why the church says that? Of course, you know, plenty of people are out there who articulate this so much better than we ever could. Uh, but we were uh, we were that on the cusp of conversion that that moment that I think all converts get of gosh if the church just had my gifts <laughs> everything would be great I could fix all the problems and all the people um, <laughs> and some some converts uh, never grow out of that <laughs> yeah God, God bless and pray for them uh, and some of us get about uh, a little bit in and go <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> So, uh, this is kind of, we're, we're going to get to what we're talking about, I promise. This is the, the background information. So, uh, in all of this, we started an apostolate uh, before we were Catholic called, wait for it, NFP Aware. Because huh. we wanted people to be aware of NFP. Little right. did we know that we, every year the church... We didn't know there was a week <laughs> dedicated <laughs> to NFP awareness. Wait, wait, there's a week? It's a whole week. Every year. Every year. Uh, so, um, all that to say, we do have an apostolate called NFP Aware. Uh, Kristen is the kind of the brains behind all of it uh, and has been everything from uh, a teacher, right? An instructor, natural family printing instructor. Uh, you've been on a national board for a method. Mm-hmm. You, you have um, been a supervisor for other teachers, and uh, you rolled yourself off the board after your term was up and were wrangled into um, doing another thing for... Well, let's be honest, I didn't have to be wrangled. You I was didn't. really oh, excited gosh. about that one. <laughs> so talk about what is it you, beyond teaching, which you still do, mm-hmm. what is this other thing that you do uh, with NFP every year? Right. So there is a group... Um, of women, there's six of us that are sent from Womb International, which is the Billings Ovulation Method, um, the the parent organization out of Australia that keeps track of everybody in the world who uses the Billings Ovulation Method, and all of the teachers. That, that, that sounds a little bit, you know. Um, <laughs> they keep track Sorry. of you all. No, I mean they <laughs> they are the ones that accredit the national organizations for the Billings Ovulation Method in different nations. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. They don't know if you're using Billings or not. They, right. they don't care. But um, anyway, so they are a worldwide organization and they send a group of women every year to the United Nations, to the Commission on the Status of Women. And I remember hearing about this team the first time that I heard about them going and I was like, what? Like they're at the UN. That's so awesome. And I, you know, went and found the videos that they had up of the, of their parallel event that year, which actually was a side event. That's why there was a video of it. Um, nobody nobody I, knows what that is. Tell us what's the difference between sorry. a parallel event and a side event. <laughs> so a side event is held by a contributing nation and a parallel event is held by a non-governmental organization or an NGO. So Women International, the six of us that go are an NGO that go to the United Nations and talk to whoever we can find and whoever will listen about natural family planning. Um, except we don't say it that way, or at least we didn't last year when we went, um, because it, it, we'll like get there. In, we'll get there. okay, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, uh, 
yeah, one of the women who had been on the team for a couple of years contacted me and said that she was wanting me to be on the team. And, you know, I had to be uh, interviewed and approved by the rest of the team because we all work pretty closely together. And um, and they accepted me in. So I got to go to the UN. I was going to go again this year, but of course that was in March. And everybody knows that New York in March was uh, not the place to be. They canceled mm-hmm. the commission this year. So, so uh, if you've ever seen those, um, those rom-coms where there's a person who's waiting for a phone call and they ha- they're all composed on the phone call and then they hang up and they do this like little, <laughs> little screamy dance. Yeah. That's what happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it happened when they, they talked to me and it happened this year when a different organization asked me to speak at their parallel event this mm-hmm. year. I did the same thing. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Yeah!" laughs> so uh, all that to say, and this is a really long way of getting there. Uh, you have a different perspective on NFP than uh, than the typical person in the parish pew. I do. Well, and it, it has developed and morphed mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. We started this in 2010. So it's oh, been wow. 10 years since NFP high Aware five. started, right? <laughs> Quiet high five. Um, so <laughs> it, it has. I mean, it's morphed from that, you know, the, the convert excited, I'm going to waltz into the office and fix all of this, send me people, you know, and then of course no one calls and you're discouraged. And, you know, so going from that and the, the marketing perspective um, and trying to market it better, which was effective at the time. Mm -hmm. um, And then kind of watching over the years and then getting into the stuff with the United Nations, which really opens up your eyes to the rest of the world and what is going on in the rest of the world and how what you do can interact with them where they are and um, and come alongside them, not to fix them, but to aid in the work that they're doing in their countries, which yeah. is totally was not on my radar at all before. So let's talk a little bit about some myths of NFP. When we, uh, when we first um, started, we... Uh, talking about that marketing piece, one mm-hmm. of the things that we decided was that we weren't ever going to quote a statistic that we didn't know where it came from and what the methodology was behind it. Yes, super important. Because, I mean, there's stuff running around out there that are all of these statistics that people say. and Well, first of all, like 75.3% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this is specifically important because um, we live in a, in a world where there's so much information, right? We were so excited about this information age uh, about 20 years ago. And then all of a sudden we have this glut of information that we have to discern what is true and what is not, because there's so much information and so much conflicting information that everyone it's trained us all, or it should have by now trained us all to be skeptics. Even people who are inside the church and are hearing some of these things about NFP, they've become skeptics. And so we decided a long time ago um, that whenever we taught, we would make sure that we knew where the statistics came from so that when the person was inevitably skeptical, whether it was a a Catholic or a non-Catholic, and and we have had both, Mm -hmm. Uh, we've had uh, not only non-Catholic Protestants, but we've had non-Catholic, non-religious people all together. And so when they are inevitably skeptical to be able to point and say, this is where it came from, here was the methodology. 
please look into this yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's made a big difference. It has because, you know, you are, you're always encountering skeptics when you're talking about natural flame planting. You just are um, from whatever perspective they have. And so to be able to, to hand them the bibliography, which is what we did. I mean, we printed out the bibliography for the PowerPoint that we did um, and had it on hand for anybody that wanted it. Um, or, or anybody that maybe didn't want it, but they came up and talked to us afterward to say that they were unhappy with what we said or whatever. We're like, well, here, look it up, you know? (laughs) Um, and it's important that it's not just, oh, here's a study that says what I want it to say, because you really can take the data and create your, you know, work your study backwards off of the, um, the solution that you want Mm -hmm. to be proven. Um, so really looking into not only, oh, here's a study that is published, but here's a study that's published that actually tested uh, non-biasly or at least as non-biasly as maybe possible because <laughs> you all have that bias to yeah. begin with. But- you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the studies that we end up using are the ones where they came to a conclusion that they were not after, that they didn't right. expect. Yeah, yeah, that they found out something different than what they set out to find. So let's talk about um, some of these myths. I promised that we were going to talk about the myths that are commonly believed about natural family planning. We're talking today with my wife, Kristen Putnam, who is a uh, a NGO representative. She re- uh, represents Womb International for the United Nations uh, at the uh, UN Commission of the Status of Women long about March every year, except for this last year. Uh, so one of the things that you have heard um, is that uh, NFP strengthens marriage. Mm-hmm. You've heard That's that. a common one. Yeah. Uh, and you might have heard the statistic uh, either that it lowers the divorce rate to 5% or to 2%. And um, this simply is a myth. Why is this a myth? Well, it is. So um, the trouble with these is that uh, it was a self-selected study. So they basically asked a whole bunch of people that said, hey, you use NFP? Awesome. Will you answer this question? Are you still married? <laughs> and um, and that's where they got their number from. Um, and I, you know, there's a couple of different studies out there and I'm not sure that all of them were quite that flippant. I know that one of them was <laughs> at least. And survey. It, survey. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was, to be sure, it's a good goal because here's the truth of it is that NFP can improve your communication. It can improve your marriage. Um, But you kind of have to be predisposed to growing in virtue for that to be the case. Um, Well, there's also the question of correlation. Does NFP lower the divorce rate? Or are people who are already in strong relationships, are they more disposed to use NFP? Right. And yes, it, it's one of those, there's so many factors that can come into what causes a divorce and not. And NFP mm-hmm. is not like a magic bullet that's going to save your marriage. Um, if things are on the rocks already, uh, mm-hmm. it's not probably going to fix that. Um, it, it could, it could, it could make possibly it worse. make it worse. Yeah. It could. And, and let's talk a little bit about why that is. Um, NFP, and, and you might not always hear this, it can be difficult Mm-hmm. Right. NFP requires uh, being on the same page. It requires communication. It requires goodwill and trust in your spouse. And if those things are on the fence or if they are not present, um, 
NFP is not going to make you communicate better. It requires good communication. Right. For it to be effective. And, you know, it's like if you are uncomfortable talking with your spouse about these things, um, it's going to make it a lot harder because mm-hmm. you really do need to be, you know, it it can get you into the place where it's like, okay, well, the woman knows what's going on and she's doing the charting and she's doing the observing and and whatnot. And the guy doesn't know. And then she's the gatekeeper and he's always asking, well, is tonight a good night? And she's like, well, no. And he doesn't understand why. And I mean, that can create a lot of stress, just that specific scenario. Um, well, and even the question of being the gatekeeper all the time, it's, it's stressful for, for both parties. It's stressful being the gatekeeper and it's stressful having uh, uncertainty about the situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just being able to have the, um, the, those uncomfortable conversations and they can be whether both between you and your spouse, but also you and your spouse being able to talk to a third party, the mm-hmm. teacher about those uncomfortable conversations. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's, it doesn't come naturally to people like we're used to it, but we teach <laughs> natural family planning. So we'll talk to you about whatever, you know, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing really good not to be too, too open on the radio right now because you know, <laughs> it's any, radio. anybody could know. be listening. Um, <laughs> You could have kids in the car. We're not going to do that. And one of the reasons that this is so important, uh, not to use this statistic or or even to say, hey, golly, NFP will strengthen your marriage is because when a couple learns and they inevitably, inevitably come across the difficulty, uh, they're either going to think, hey, that friend lied to me, or they're going to think we're just doing it wrong. Or they're going to think, um, wow, we must be further gone than we thought, right? So it, it, we, we like to think, oh, well, if I say this, this beautiful picture, if I paint this beautiful picture of NFP, it will draw people into the beauty of the church's teaching and they'll just fall in love with it and all will be well. Um, but people fall in love with the good, the beautiful, and the true. And the true is important. NFP is good not because it's easy, right? It wasn't the ease of natural family planning that won us over. You know, we had been using NFP for four years of our marriage. We knew uh, that it wasn't going to be easy to do it the way the church taught. We already knew that. Um, And and so we fell in love with it anyway. And, you know, that can be kind of a hard line because at the same time, you know, if you have a great experience with natural family planning or to you, it did come more easily um, to learn and to chart and all of that stuff. Like, you know, you need to put that out there. You need it's okay to talk about the good. Like we don't have to also I I feel like there's also the um, the opposite of that where it's just like it's awful and it's hard and and (laughs) And nobody likes it, but you have to do it anyway. And and you know, it's good to have that when you hit those hard spots that you know you're not alone in that. But also, like if you have a good experience, it is okay to talk about. But let's not think that our experience is the universal experience because it's not. We're talking today with Kristen Putnam, co-founder of NFP Aware. Find it at nfpaware.com. Uh, this is NFP Awareness Week. So come and join the ongoing conversation on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There is so much more to this conversation right after the break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we're, we're coming up on NFP Awareness Week. Uh, we're talking about some myths around natural family planning, uh, and we in studio have uh, had to go a long way for this guest, let me tell you. Uh, all the way upstairs, we're talking- All the way upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to my wife, Kristen Putnam, who's the co-founder. Uh, of NFP Aware, and you can find it at nfpaware.com. She's also currently a, uh, a representative to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women for the NGO Womb International, which is the parent organization of the Billings Ovulation Method. Uh, so glad to have you in studio today. Always glad to be here, love. So we're talking about some myths around NFP. Uh, the first one was uh, the statistics. We like to throw out these statistics uh, that that are um, not necessarily reflective of causation, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily even good numbers. Uh, this and and that those are the ones around. Uh, oh, it's really good, you know, good for your marriage. It lowers the divorce rate. Here's the truth: um, it is good for your marriage, but it's not the magic bullet. And it's not that by using NFP, suddenly, miraculously, magically, all of your troubles in marriage will disappear and uh, and your divorce rate will go super low. Uh, there are some things in NFP, when practiced well, uh, that are good for a marriage. Communication, right? Uh, trust. Uh, trust in not only one another, but in divine providence, right? Being open to to one another and open to life. These are good things, Um, but they in and of themselves are not the magic bullet, right? NFP isn't the thing that does it. It's an opportunity to practice virtue. Right. That's really what natural family planning is. It's also the opportunity to fail at virtue. (laughs) Honestly, that's what marriage is. (laughs) It is an opportunity to practice virtue (laughs) and parenting, you know, life. So, 2020. so one of the other things I wanted to talk about, um, when we first started NFP, we were coming at it from the perspective of having been Protestant and looking at, uh, the desire for, um, connection for sexual connection. And that being specifically, we also dealt with a lot of newlyweds as we began this process. And that was the big thing. And so NFP, it was looked at from, let's be honest. Uh, and, and I think that this is also probably true of a lot of the marketing and a lot of true of the way that people talk about it. NFP was seen as kind of that middle-class something for people who um, didn't want to have a lot of kids and still wanted to have uh, close connection as often as possible. Right. I mean, I think that that probably comes from the recognition or, or the, um, the understanding that our main competition, those of us who teach NFP, is contraceptives. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, what are people who con- use contraceptives, what are they after? They they don't want a ton of kids, but they want connection, but they want a good birth control. I mean, that's right. that's what they're looking for. So how can we market ourselves to meet that need, but in a natural way that doesn't go against <laughs> church teaching? Right. <laughs> you know? So I think that's where that comes from. And, and so you see a lot of that. Perhaps you've witnessed it as well. And that, I think, is part of why there's such frustration around natural family planning, um, because it does that very poorly, <laughs> right? It, it 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 allows selfishness very poorly. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. So... I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna push the boundaries here just a little bit in this part of the conversation. Um, 
first of all, we, as as you've gone along, specifically as you've worked with the UN, we've come to see NFP in a very drastically different light, not as a, a middle-class thing that makes life easier, but as something that elevates the dignity of woman mm-hmm. and something that uh, that articulates the church's preferential option for the poor. Mm-hmm. So can you f- maybe help reframe uh, NFP out of our typical understanding and the posters that we see up on N- NFP Awareness Week and put it squarely in that frame that we that we just brought up? Right. Okay. So, yeah, when we get out of our the our neighborhood and, you know, where we live and where we go to mass and all of that. Um, it does, it takes on a very different color because what we're looking at when we're looking at natural family planning is being able to understand a woman's body. Like that, that's what we're looking at. Right. So specifically with the Billings ovulation method that is able to be done with instruction um, with a teacher who knows what they're talking about and can tell you what to do. Um, but that's really it. I mean, we're talking about body literacy. And so as we're being able to do that, we are, we realize that it doesn't take anything extra. That's one thing that I love about the Billings ovulation method is that you don't need a thermometer. You're not doing, um, any extra exams. I mean, it's really just, um, paying attention throughout the day. Well, and to be clear, as we, as we talk about this, this is your experience and we're going to frame it in terms of your experience, but this is not to disparage any other method. No, no, I don't want to get into method wars and all of that. That's a thing. Um, and no, is it, this is a, one thing that I have come to appreciate about the method that I teach. Um, specifically when I started going to the UN, because, um, you know, you're sitting in these seminars and in these parallel events and listening to these stories of women and what they have gone through in their own countries or not even in their own countries because they're refugees. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, some of the stories that I heard out of the refugee camps w- were incredible. And, you know, anytime that you go on a missions trip or you get outside of your normal sphere of influence and you see what the rest of the world um, can be like in different people's perspective, it it really does. It opens up your mind. So when I started hearing these things and realizing that the method that we teach is able, it it can translate into those situations that you don't have to have the income to be able to buy a thermometer or you don't have to, um, you don't even have to have paper and stickers. Like that's something that you can do, but there are all kinds of creative ways that people in different countries have figured out how to chart that do not require anything to be imported in to use it well. So um, we're talking today with Kristen Putnam, who's the co-founder of NFP Aware, nfpaware.com. You're talking about their stories. How does NFP, uh, other than helping them uh, either achieve or postpone a pregnancy, how does NFP empower uh, women around the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just that knowledge of understanding what your body is doing and where it's going and what it's doing on any given day is huge. I mean, when you think about a woman who is living in a refugee camp and she has nothing and there is no way to get anything to her, you know, I mean, there are contraceptive programs all over the world, but there are certain areas where those don't reach. And it also keeps the women dependent upon the generosity of others. Mm -hmm. And while we are appreciative of generosity of others, 
Um, also those contraceptive programs can come with a lot of strings attached, um, expectations from the giver for the givey to do in receiving these things. So, um, so what it does is it allows the woman to be able to come into control of her own environment. She doesn't have to rely on the generosity of others in, in areas of countries that are completely unstable or, um, in situations that are unstable that she doesn't have to worry about when she's getting her next prescription mm-hmm. to be able to, um, to help plan her family. But then beyond that, you get into some societies where it is, um, where women do not have a say where they are not treated as equals in the society. And, um, there's this one story and I do not remember the specific name of the tribe, but it was in Africa and, um, women international came in and taught, the women and the men together about the Billings ovulation method and um, followed up with them, kept them going. And what they saw was a, a societal shift in these people that it went from the women had no say on anything to all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden over time. um, And the men starting to understand the beauty of their women's bodies, but, and being able to come um, and make those decisions about family together and whether or not it was a good time to have another child, things like that, um, that the women started being able to make decisions about the children's education mm-hmm. and contributing to society in a more meaningful way, which empowered the women, which strengthened the society as a whole. Um, and stories like that are just incredible. And that's the the potential that it has. And what I love is that it can fit into any culture. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a middle America, white suburban thing um that it it whatever your whatever their society is is doing and looking at and whatever their um the things that they emphasize Mm -hmm. it can fit with that and then so then you get into um i met some nigerians when i was at the un and they're my favorite (laughs) they're just so joyful and beautiful and amazing and they're doing amazing work and um so thinking about them and the way that they embrace children mm-hmm. and, and having more children. So, you know, we went from being able to, you know, tell people that you can use it to, to plan your family, the size that you want. And, you know, um, as many as, you know, your self-control can manage, <laughs> um, to realizing that, um, these, these women want a ton of children, <laughs> And I love that when I told them how many I had, I kept it under wraps at the UN at first because it was like, Oh, you know, if they find out how many kids I have, they're not going to listen to me. And, um, and so it came out that, you know, one of the other Nigerian women also had the same amount of kids that we had uh, at that time. And, um, and so then they started joking around with me and like, Oh, well you need to have two more. And then you have an even 10 and, you know, (laughs) and it was just such a different way of approaching children. Well, and, and part of that is the recognition of the wealth that children bring. We look at mm-hmm. children as a as a um, a liability because of the money that we have to spend on them. In that that the culture that they say perceives you have to right? spend on them, yeah. Uh, and so we we look at children as oh gosh, I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas many cultures look at children and say uh, children help our livelihood. Right, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, uh, maybe not only here, but specifically in agrarian societies, being able to say, "Hey, the more children we have, the more prosperous our farm can be," mm-hmm. in many ways. Right. Um, so, 
that's one thing to look at is that NFP is not just uh, used as postponing children. Right. That it has, it's so much more than that. I mean, yes, it will tell you when you can postpone children, but, um, but no, I mean, it tells you so much more than that. And specifically it, it can help those that have trouble conceiving as well. Um, and so looking at it as an IVF alternative, um, Mm -hmm. and, and a moral one (laughs) at that. Right. So, um, and you know, the ways that it does that again, it's not magic. It's not going to work for everyone. Um, but at the same time, knowing what your patterns are actually doing, um, because not everyone has, you know, the, the whole 30 day cycle is a myth. It, Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, and that's normal. To not fit in that. Um, so, but to see, you know, like stress and stuff that we eat and uh, things that are going on in our life affect our fertility. It, mm-hmm. And it's kind of a delicate system of hormones and things. And so, um, you know, when you've got a picture of when a possible conception could actually take place, that is a huge thing um, that doctors that you talk to, or at least that I've had, um, clients talk to, you know, the advice that they give for conceiving when you're having trouble is awful. Um, now maybe not across the board, but the stuff that I've heard, it's just like, what, (laughs) that would not help you. Um, and so it gives you that, but then more than that, um, in some methods, you can also see underlying issues that could be going on with your hormones. And so, um, when you can start to pinpoint that and have a directed medical intervention or, or looking um, to what the root cause could be of what the trouble is, that also gives you a much better chance. Now, over the course of this conversation, you've brought up contraception, you've brought up IVF. And I think it's important to say that you bring these things up because you, the primary audience that you talk to are people who are non-religious. Right. Yes, uh, oh, certainly. So I want to come to the other extreme now, uh, because there are people who look at it and say, uh, well, NFP is no good, not because it doesn't work, but because it works too well and you could use it in a way that it's not, that, that the church wouldn't approve of. They say the church approves of NFP in very specific circumstances, and therefore it's possible to use NFP in a contraceptive manner. You may have heard that term. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this, but I want to talk about why it's absolutely impossible, utterly and completely impossible to use an FP in a contraceptive manner. We're going to put up a couple of articles on social media. Uh, if you either, either you need convincing or someone you know needs convincing, um, I'm going to put these up for you on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Um, Here's why it's impossible because contraceptives, the contraceptive mentality says, I want to receive all of the pleasure of connection without any of the responsibility. So I'm going to cut off the fruitfulness of an act for the purpose of getting out of it what I want out of it. Uh, And so it is by nature uh, something that cuts off an act. NFP doesn't do that. Ever. It can't do that. It's impossible to do that. Um, now, it's possible to use NFP in a selfish way where you uh, are unwilling to even uh, consider the idea of being open to life 
And to be clear, uh, Humana Vitae talks about um, whether you need to postpone for a time or indefinitely as being not a negative thing. But let's say that it's possible for you to to say, I am not trusting in God. I'm not going to be um, open to any possibility of life. That That would potentially, depending on your heart, be a selfish reason for using an FP, but it can't be contraceptive. Yep. Because by its very act, it is omitting an act. It is not cutting off an act. Yes. So. But abstaining for a time is not wrong. In fact, it's in scripture. Right. So uh, I got a couple of articles I want to show you there. Um, one of them, well, just go. Go to <laughs> facebook.com slash step outside the walls. The Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I've got two specific articles that I want you to see. Uh, one is uh, about the use of the term grave, grave reasons that comes, Mm -hmm. that comes up a lot, comes up a lot. It's actually a poor translation. And, uh, there's a wonderful scholarly article about the proper translation of that term. And then there's also the, the question of how far back did the church say NFP aware, uh, NFP was good. And the answer is a lot earlier than you think it was. Yep. So we've been talking today with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us about your expertise, uh, co-founder of NFP Aware, nfpaware.com. You're welcome, love. If you missed any part of the show uh, or you want to share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at Outside the Walls. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, this is the point we say, but wait, there's more. Uh, We have an extra segment always, each and every week, available to all those who support the show through Patreon. While you're at OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page and learn how you can join that support community. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up. Go to Verbum.com and get your own copy. Uh, We're going to read our scripture reading and reading from church history out of this library. Uh, You can also pick up some other books in the library. This week, there's a sale on the Theology of the Body by St. Pope John Paul II, and a a lovely book called These Lovely Bones by Emily Stinson Chapman, uh, also on the Theology of the Body. But we're going to be reading out of the Gospel of Matthew and then out of the encyclical Casti Canubi, written by Pope Pius XI back in 1930. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read this. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea, which collects fish of every kind. When it is full, they haul it ashore and sit down and put what is good into buckets and what is bad they throw away. Thus, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Do you understand all these things? They answered, yes. And he replied, Every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. That reading, again, comes from the Gospel of Matthew. 
And here we have something of great value. Here we have the teaching of the church which has been given to us, and it's been given to us for our good, and it is a thing that it is that's worth investment. But let's be clear, it won't come without sacrifice. For my wife and I, as we received this teaching, uh, it, it came with great sacrifice. We left the career that I had been in. We left the, everything that we had up until that point. I'd worked in the Protestant church. My network was in the Protestant church, and we left that. And we left that without really any safety net. It was a great sacrifice. Um, and then at a smaller level, accepting this requires sacrifice on, on a regular basis as we have to care for the good of the spouse, looking to our, our situation where we are at any given time. It's a difficult teaching to not so much to accept, although for some people it is, uh, but certainly a very difficult teaching to live out. It takes effort, just like that person who finds the thing worth having and sells everything else. There's no safety net. Everything gets sold to buy this one thing. And it seems foolish and it seems uh, over the top. And yet for the value and the beauty of that thing that they went out to buy, the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, for those things, it was worth it to leave everything else behind. For this teaching and the other truths of the church, it was worth leaving our former life behind. And I, I have to tell you, this teaching, as difficult as it can be, is worth pursuing because it deals with your dignity. It deals with the dignity of the human person, and you will be strengthened by it. So, Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to the reading from Casti Canubi. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit because uh, Pope Pius XI is um, generous with his words, shall we say. And so we have just a little bit of time to, to kind of glean some of the really important things that I want to share with you today out of Casti Canubi. And it's important to give a little bit of a historical context of what's going on at this point in time and why this encyclical is being, being written. This was written in response to the Seventh Lambeth Conference, uh, where the, the the Church of England gathered together and, for the first time in Christian history, said that contraception was okay. Up until that point, it had never been accepted by Christians uh, until this con uh, conference. And so, in response to Lambeth saying that, Pope Pius XI wrote this encyclical, from which we read, from God comes the very institution of marriage, the ends for which it was instituted, the laws that govern it, the blessings that flow from it, while man, through generous surrender of his own person made to another for the whole span of life, becomes with the help and cooperation of God the author of each particular marriage, with the duties and blessings annexed thereto from divine institution." These, says St. Augustine, are the blessings of matrimony on account of which matrimony itself is a blessing, offspring, conjugal faith, and the sacrament. And how under these three heads is contained a splendid summary of the whole doctrine of Christian marriage, the holy doctor himself expressly declares when he said, by conjugal faith, it is provided that there should be no carnal intercourse outside the marriage bond with another man or woman, 
with regard to offspring that children should be begotten of love, tenderly cared for and educated in a religious atmosphere. And finally, in its sacramental aspect, that the marriage bond should not be broken and that a husband or wife, if separated, should not be joined to another, even for the sake of offspring. This we regard as the law of marriage by which the fruitfulness of nature is adorned and the evil of incontinence is restrained. Thus, among the blessings of marriage, the child holds the first place, and indeed the creator of the human race himself, who in his goodness wishes to use men as his helpers in the propagation of life. Taught this, when instituting marriage in paradise, he said to our first parents, and through them to all future spouses, increase and multiply and fill the earth. The second blessing of matrimony, which we have said was mentioned by St. Augustine, is the blessing of conjugal honor, which consists in the mutual fidelity of spouses in fulfilling the marriage contract. This conjugal faith, however, which is most aptly called by St. Augustine the faith of chastity, blooms more freely, more beautifully, and more nobly when it is rooted in that more excellent soil the love of husband and wife which pervades all duties of married life and holds pride of place in Christian marriage. For matrimonial faith demands that the husband and wife be joined in an especially holy and pure love, not as adulterers love each other, but as Christ loved the church. This precept the apostle laid down when he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That church which of a truth he embraced with boundless love, not for the sake of his own advantage, but seeking only the good of his spouse. The love, then, of which we are speaking is not that based on the passing lust of the moment, nor does it consist in pleasing words only, but in the deep attachment of the heart, which is expressed in action, since love is proved by deeds." This outward expression of love in the home demands not only mutual help, but must go further, must have as its primary purpose that man and wife help each other day by day in forming and perfecting themselves in the interior life, so that through their partnership in life, they may advance ever more and more in virtue, and above all, that they may grow in true love toward God and their neighbor on which indeed dependeth the whole law and the prophets. For all men of every condition, in whatever honorable walk of life they may be, can and ought to imitate that most perfect example of holiness placed before man by God, namely Christ our Lord, and by God's grace to arrive at the summit of perfection, as is proved by the example set us of many saints." That reading comes from Casti Canubi, written by Pope Pius XI in 1930. And that's all the time we have for today. Go read the rest of it. It's worth your time. Today's show is brought to you by Paige and Kent Keithley. Thanks for all that they do and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 